there's a point where the most important thing you can do is anything. There's a point where you just need to move the needle. If I didn't take the action, I'd still be sitting there on the sidelines going, uh, you know, should I do it? Choose not to live in a world of filters. Realize your mistakes. Set the foundation for your success. Get some wins. Knucklehead Podcast. All right, welcome to another edition of Knucklehead Podcast. You got with you today, the Knucklehead Stephen. I'm excited about having another guest on to talk about. It's what we talk about every single time we have one of these podcasts. We're we're jumping right in, talking about things that you screw up, potentially things that were mistakes that worked out differently than what you talk about. I think it's bizarre that today we're actually going to be talking with somebody who's got uh, a significant amount of experience working with very, very, very large organizations right at the time that they were becoming the, one of the largest companies you know, in the planet. So I, I really enjoy uh, listening to people who are way smarter than I am, like, uh, like our guest today, Russ. So for us, Craig Jack, he's joining us today over the beauty of Skype. Uh, he's out in Colorado, but I appreciate him taking some time to talk with us, to walk us through, you know, some of the things that he learned along the way. Honestly, the whole reason why we started this podcast, we talk about it constantly is not everything works out exactly the way it's supposed to. You know, whenever you have very well thought out critical thinking plans, you have strategies to address attacking business problems. Folks always say it, no great well-oiled plan survives first contact with the enemy. As soon as you get first contact with the enemy or things go wrong, that's quite frankly when you need to start iterating and uh, and making some things happen. So it's not always what people advertise. Screw-ups and mistakes happen all the time. So Russ, I appreciate you taking some time to, to share some probably some gut-wrenching stories here. So no, it's, it's good to be here. Um, yeah. I, you know, I don't know that your statement was correct. I think the plans unfold the way they're supposed to. They just don't do it the way you think they're supposed to. That's yeah. That's the big difference. That's interesting. So I could, I could, yeah, I, I appreciate that correction. You're right. Things work out the way that they're supposed to in the end. They, they always do. However, I think my intention in stating it the way that I did was, was to communicate that somebody who's a consultant who essentially makes, makes their money on the plans and the planning and the, and therefore the plan is more valuable than the execution. It's a little disingenuous, or at least our time, whenever we first started this podcast to, uh, to say that your well, perfectly designed plan is going to lead to the outcome that you're looking for. You anticipate that it's going to, because it has, you have this historical data to prove that it can. Sure. It just, it may be a little bit different <laughs> whenever you're going into this particular endeavor. And that's, no, fair enough. frankly, that, that's what, that's what started this whole process. No, fair enough. I'm a patent attorney and, and I talk to a lot of startup companies, sure. you know, quite a bit. And, you know, they have a grand vision of where their product is going, you know, they have a grand vision. Oh, the world should be this way. And, and, you know, here's my whole business. And the biggest mistake they make is run out to a, a patent attorney and get a patent on this grand idea of this big business idea. Sure. And they do it at a time when it's untested. Hmm. And, you know, throughout my little journey as a patent attorney, I keep running into people who make this mistake. Oh, I have this great idea. I'm going to go protect it. But the idea is untested. A customer hasn't seen it. Nobody, you know, nobody cares about it. It's just this dream of something. For those of you who are listening, Russ is talking a little bit about his experience as a patent attorney. 
for those of you who are listening, though, you may not necessarily see that Russ is seasoned. He's, he, this is not his first rodeo, so to speak. My hair is shiny. I keep telling my daughter, <laughs> it's my the hair reflection. is just shiny. It's not it's the reflection. He's got his window open, so that's what it is. It's 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 the shininess. No, no, I'm, I'm I'm teasing a little bit, but the reality is, is you've been through this before, and you know a lot of the questions that we get is how applicable is the is the input that you're providing, or is it timeless? You know, are, are, do you see that startups have always been this way, or have you seen that startups now that are backed by VCs that are, you know, get to play with some some of the other folks that I run with? They call that kind of funny money. Do they have the ability to to make iterations quicker, or do they kind of back themselves into the corner by going and and getting these these patents when in fact they're untested first? You know, so. Walk us through what you mean by that. Do you I mean well, you're talking about eighties and nineties companies? You know, no, no, it happens way? all the time. The, the, okay. the first time entrepreneur tends to do this far more than the person who's been through it a few times. Sure. The issue, you know, it's, it's really kind of what we're talking about is that if I have an idea, I crystallize it in the form of a patent and then I go out and see if the business model works. You know, this is, this is the, the concept of laying some, uh, you know, getting your best laid plans. Sure. And then, oh, and then we go out and see if the customer actually wants it, finds out that they don't like the product or they use it upside down or, you know, they use it for a different purpose or, you know, whatever. It always changes. And so why are people trying to, you know, quote, protect the idea, which is what you said earlier, it's protecting that best laid plan instead of waiting for it to mature. And instead of letting it go through, let the business go through the process of weeding out, you know, you start with this business plan and it's a direction. It's something, oh, it's, it's some hypotheses I want to test. It's some, you know, does this work or does it not? And as you learn, you make, you start improving, 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 and you always wind up in a place you don't expect. If you're yeah, any good at this, you wind yeah. up at a place that you don't expect. Well, that's yeah, that's my, I guess my question then would be is where's the most value in that in that process? Is it is it the the protected best laid plans in the beginning or is it the outcome? You know, which it's, is it? Because the outcome doesn't happen unless you start moving. You know, we call well, that kind of get some wins here. We just get started, get started. Yeah. I mean, obviously have have a framework there, but it's almost like a fire plan sketch as opposed to a you know, a five paragraph order detailing all the idiosyncrasies and all the courses of action that need to take place in order to achieve this outcome. It's more so a drawing on a napkin in the beginning. Yeah. It's more of a drawing on a napkin. And, you know, I don't know how detailed we get into my history, but I kind of switched from being a conventional patent attorney, you walk in the door, write your patent to where I finance patents and, and I finance them because I see the value in it. But I don't finance the original idea. I'll never do patents. Well, I should say never, but I want to capture the value after you've been through the process, after you've built a, a prototype, after you've tried to sell this, after you've gotten the response from the market, after you've honed this thing, whatever you start out at the beginning is just, it's that framework. Okay. Hey, we think that there's a problem that needs to be solved. And then you go through the process of actually solving it. And lo and behold, it, what you come out on the other end is completely different. If I'm going to do the patents, I want to do the patents on the piece at the end, the piece that's refined, the piece that has the inf the voice of the customer and all that, that other part on it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, 
it's a, it's a great place to, to have a conversation. I mean, it's kind of a foregone conclusion when, you know, folks that are listening to this podcast that, you know, have experience running startups or, you know, they're, they're well along their way in terms of, uh, you know, they've already had an exit and they're going to, to start their next startup. You may be shutting your shutting off there if you're in that particular scenario or in that bucket, but let's just think about for a second, the, the entrepreneur, or the, the business owner who has a business, it's very mature. They have a, a mature organization. And what ends up happening is, uh, for instance, I'm just trying to think of it. Okay. So for instance, the scanner business, the scanner business for a long time, paper was just how folks did business. What changed is the way that people interacted with these forms and these documents. So now all of a sudden it's like, there's another offshoot as to where that scanner business could go. There's, there's more value if somebody could make that cross the chasm, so to speak, of going scanning all the way up into maybe electric storage or, or uh, mm-hmm. you know, some type of enterprise content management storage. So let's talk real quick about, about what you've seen over the course of your career, where, where have there been really successful pivots and where did they happen by accident? In, in your opinion, <laughs> for me, they, they always seem to happen by accident. You know, it's um, it, very few of them were, were deliberate. You know, I'll, I'll give you the story that I grew up in Connecticut and my first job that I had, well, I, I delivered newspapers. I had a paper route for a while. And then uh, after two or three years of that, I think I thought I wanted to get something better. So I went down to an apple orchard that was nearby and asked for a job and wound up working there for about three years. And there was a story that, that really stuck with me while I was there. The foreman of our little crew, we spent all day hanging out in apple trees and picking or whatever. And, and so you'd hear a lot of stories. And the foreman said that his dad told him the story. And so this was, you know, this was the 80s mid eighties, probably. And the foreman's dad was pretty old, but his dad said that a friend of his came to him and said, look, I got this business proposition. I got this early stage business. I'm, I need some investment. And the guy was looking for 10,000, 20,000, 30,000. And this was, this was like the late thirties you know, 1930s. And so my buddy's dad had, had a small farm. They, they did like, they had a roadside stand with tomatoes and they're big and pumpkin. They're, we always went to their, their place to get the Halloween pumpkins. And his dad, you know, got this offer and he said, oh, you know, I don't know. I don't think so. And told the guy, no. Well, it turns out the, the, the name of the company was Polaroid, which you know, turned into a multi-billion dollar company. And his dad regretted that decision for the rest of his life and told his son, look, opportunity is going to show up somewhere. Sometime in your life, opportunity is going to show up. May show up once, may show up multiple times, but be ready to take it. Be ready to jump on it when it comes. And might not look very attractive, but that story stuck with me through high school, college. I went to college, became an engineer, worked at a gigantic corporation, McDonnell Douglas, which, you know, since augured in and got acquired by their arch rival Boeing. Long after I left, I worked at Hewlett Packard and then, you know, just kind of stumbled into this thing where I could write patents for people. And that was 20 years ago or so. And, and so I changed course, went, essentially went solo. Although we could talk about that transition, what it was like 
And before you, yeah, before you get into that, because I don't want to yeah. jump in and interrupt your flow here, but I think it's important to, to hover over the story that you just t- told. Mm-hmm. It, more or less, somebody had an opportunity to invest in Polaroid back in the 1930s that that did it. And that lesson that he passed on to his, his kids were opportunity is going to come an opportunity. You got to be prepared whenever those opportunities come. So it's essentially that forces folks. I mean, not to get metaphysical, but there's a lot of folks that they, they conflate this positive thinking and they think of, you know, that there's, uh, there's not really a whole lot of, uh, of use case for that. Uh, it's just, it sounds real too kumbaya, but the reality is, is, unless you're looking for that opportunity or if you're prepared to see it, you're going to miss it, especially if you're mired down in whatever it is that you're doing. So mental health is kind of a buzz word that folks talk about quite a bit now in, in today's, in today's world. Uh, you know, the Olympics just happened. There was a, a famous Olympian that uh, decided not to participate because, uh, because of the amount of mental health that she was you know, experiencing at the time. So, you know, to bring this full circle, do you think that that played a role to a certain extent, just using kind of the characteristics of mental health of that farmer not investing because he was just so mired in whatever whatever it was that he was doing? He didn't understand what he was saying no to. Well, um, you know, he had the opportunity and it was presented to him. And, you know, the, the guy was a was a farmer. I mean, he didn't have a lot of excess cash, but he had some land and he had the opportunity to invest and he chose not to. And that doesn't mean every investment is going to turn out to be, you know, a unicorn, but, you know, opportunity will come by every once in a while. And you'll look at it and say, "Ah, I don't know. And, you know, of course, you can make the opposite problem of jumping at every little uh, you know, every little thing and chasing this, this dream. And that's equally as miserable as staying the course, not making, not taking the risk and regretting it all your life. I mean, John Maxwell, which says, one's worse, which yeah, one's John, worse. I don't know. He's a leadership guy, John Maxwell. He, he, I um, heard him say one time a long time ago, and it, and it makes a lot of sense. He just says the only thing worse than, um, you know, that investing in people and spending a lot of time training them on, on the right way to do things. And then all of a sudden they leave your organization and go to your competitor. The only thing worse than that is not training them and having them stay. <laughs> so, so, you know, that that's, it's interesting hearing you talk about how, yeah, there's, there's, there's two sides of that, uh, of that coin. One is be prepared. And then the second side is, you know, use discretion as opposed to not using discretion. So you're, you know, you jump at every, every new bright, shiny object that comes at you uh, and try to leverage it for, you know, achieving that outcome that we were talking about. So, all right, let's bring this back to, to your career and your career growth, because those organizations that you're part of, I mean, those are gigantic organizations and you found and kind of settled on this, this niche, so to speak, that was very valuable, not only to the organization, but that skill set. How did you develop that skill set of writing patents for, uh, carving out, carving out that that particular niche. What 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 caused you to to stumble upon that? Well, I you know this is this is the classic. Oh, I had a plan. <laughs> you know, I had no plans for this. Okay, uh, first I'll swear to you, I, I, the U.S. Patent Office had a whole bunch of job applications when I was looking for work. You know, I was look, I got out of college in late '80s when it was it was the tail end of everybody got a job at IBM or General Motors or wherever, you know, that that was kind of the end of that era where you come out of college and, and get into the career path and just write it all the way up. And so I 
got into a gigantic corporation where that was the expected path. This is what everybody had done for generations is get into that gigantic corporation, just kind of step by step by step by step. And at the late 80s was when that institution started to crumble. It's interesting to bring it back to your career. When we talk about the opportunity investment that happened, you know, that story that you were telling, and then now you have this uh, attraction where you essentially you, you provided opportunities at very large organizations. And then you found this niche need of, of, you know, being a patent attorney. It was really starting to write patents that, uh, that was kind of more the, the start. I was curious to see like, what gave you that skill set? Like, how did you develop that skill? And you started to describe just a little bit there about, uh, you know, how you did. And you start talking about the patent uh, office and, the institution starting to change and the foundation being a little bit uh, shifted back towards that individual skill set. So how did you, how did you develop that skill set? Well, uh, you know, I always thought that writing patents would be kind of lame. I wanted to be the guy inventing, not the guy writing the patents. You know, it seems like you're, you're kind of getting it after the fact and all the fun was in the inventing. And I practiced as an engineer for, I think, 13 years uh, I went through the patent process a few times at some of the companies that I was at, you know, had a few patents with my name on, of course, they're owned by the, the, the company. And I was, I was in the inventor chair, the patent attorney called me, I'd, I'd explain it to them, they'd write it up and so on. And then I had this invention that I wanted to, to license. And I went to a patent attorney who was on my hockey team and the guy completely ripped me off. Stop there for a second. So what do you, what do you mean he ripped you off? He ripped me. He charged me $5,000 to do two really lousy searches. Well, the, the, he ripped me off financially that way. But the biggest part is I went to him and I said, look, I have this invention. What should I do? I don't know what it should do. I need some help. And counselor, help me out with that. And he's like, well, some people write provisional applications. Some people do non-provisional applications. Some people do this. Some people do that. I'm like, okay, great. What, what should I do? Well, you could do what you want. I'm like, well, I'm coming to you because you're the most experienced person. You've seen this before. I want to tap into your experience base. I don't know what I'm doing. Help me out. Well, we'll do whatever you say. I'm like, come on, help me out here. And then so I paid him to do a search. The search wasn't any good. And then I said, do it over. And he sent me another bill and I was furious. And so 5k two times or total well, is 2,500, two times the money. So it's 5k total. That's, that's just rough. And, you know, so whatever I knew that I wanted to get into this inventing kind of business or licensing or whatever. And I had the opportunity to and this is one of the few times where I intentionally took a job to learn something. I intentionally took a job at Waterpick, local company here that makes shower heads and a lot of oral, oral irrigators, you know, the water pick for cleaning your teeth and toothbrushes and all that. I wanted to get experience in consumer products. I wanted to see how they did inbound licensing because I want to license to companies like that. And so I'm like, let's take a job there and learn. So you know, this whole thing with this, this one invention was kind of happening. I, you know, I'm, I'm intentionally taking the job at Waterpick to learn, you know, see the insides of consumer products, which was absolutely fascinating and learned a ton there. 
and I was disappointed with the interaction with a patent attorney. Well, one of the guys at Waterpick had just taken the course to become a patent agent. And you can become a patent agent just with an engineering degree. And so I grabbed all his study, you know, borrowed all his study materials. I studied like mad and I became a patent agent and wound up working for that patent attorney who had ripped me off. I knew he was a crook. He still is to this day. <laughs> and I had the ability to learn the trade from somebody, had the opportunity to learn the trade and to get pretty good at it. I spent three years there grinding out patent applications and learning every single thing I could. You know, how do you use, come up with naming conventions for files? How do you, you know, how do you do billing? How do you find new clients? I learned everything I could from some, from this guy. Then I wound up going to law school after about three years of that. And while I was in law school, I opened up my own shop as a patent agent. How long ago was that, that you completed law school? uh, I think I went in at 2003. Wow, almost 20 years. Yeah, you know, I was, I had kids in middle school. I was at the point of life where if I was ever going to go to law school, it had to be then. If I waited a couple of years, I'd have kids in college and, you know, you can't afford that. And if, you know, if I waited until after they're in college, well, you know, I'd be old. So like I had to, had to do it then. It was a lot of, law school was a riot. It was a lot of fun. Well, I think it's, I think the theme here, and I'm just going to summarize this in a way that we, we didn't anticipate that the, the story was going to out, turn out like this, but what I'm hearing two big lessons, one in particular was the, you know, taking advantage of an opportunity, not necessarily letting that those pass. So you can develop the skill set of vetting what an opportunity looks like. And the second thing would be investing five grand uh, in, into a process that didn't work very well, but that taught you so much about, um, it actually probably fueled you through that three years of working with that other organization, plus going to law school. Yeah. Uh, It was five grand. It it was like paid training in a way, and it was very painful. So that's where most people want to stop is they, they would never, not, not everybody. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, mischaracterize this, but generally speaking, somebody invests resources, and they get burned like that, a lot of times that, that discourages them from doing something similar or doubling down the way that you did. So yeah. um, that's, a, that's a hard thing to do, but you, you did it. So Well, you know, there's a point where the most important thing you can do is anything. There's a point where you just need to move the needle. Like if I'm ever going to get in this business of inventing things, which I never did, by the way, but if I'm ever going to pursue that, I have to make the first steps. I have to spend the money. Yes, I knew I was getting ripped off. Yes, I knew this wasn't working out, but I needed to move forward. And I did that a couple of things as a, you know, when I opened my own practice as a patent attorney, there were times where I knew that doing this marketing thing, whatever it was, was stupid. I knew at the very beginning, this is a waste of time. This is expensive. I don't have the money for this. I shouldn't be doing this, but I need to move forward. And so a lot of times you have to just take some action. If I didn't take the action, I'd still be sitting there on the sidelines going, oh, you know, should I do it? And 
there's plenty of times where I spent money that I knew at the time was more than I should, but it moved me forward. And just, you know, I spent five grand doing those patent searches. And I said to myself, yeah, this is stupid. Yeah, these are no good. Yeah, the, you know, I'm wasting money, but I have to move forward and see what I can learn from it. You know, this is where the best laid plans never work out. All I needed to do was move forward and have the opportunity to learn. And um, you're right. If I had not spent that five grand, I would not have been angry enough to go, you know, take the patent bar exam. I would not have been angry enough to, or motivated enough, call it whatever you will, to move forward with a lot of that stuff. And I'm so glad that I did. You know, it's it's a funny story, but I mean, it's it's funny now in hindsight. I'm sure at the time it was it everything no. <laughs> everything but funny. Um, <laughs> well, so talk, talk real quick about so what we're talking about here with relative to your experience with the uh, uh, me and a patent attorney and and doing those things. Your entire career kind of prepared you in some of those you know critical moments in terms of having an opportunity presented that story that helped shape your perspective on taking opportunities and risks, trusting in yourself. And then in that experience with that particular attorney, it's interesting you went to go work for him. I'd love to hear more about that, but help me understand. So why would somebody now, if they're listening to this podcast or if they're, if they're wondering, you know, in terms of what's next steps, what would be a, you know, what would be an inflection point where they would want to come and communicate with you? And then how do they, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs you know, my, my practices kind of evolved where I do, I will do financing. I can do loans using patents as collateral. I can insure patents and that kind of stuff. So I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs. I hear a lot of pitches and I love the process. And I'm also an angel investor. So I, so I do get involved in some of these companies directly from, you know, from a, operational, not operational standpoint, but an investment standpoint, having done that for a while, I see all these, and I love talking to entrepreneurs and anybody, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear your story and you can reach me at my, my website is blueironip.com. And I think on the about page or something, you can just click on the Calendly link and, you know, book a half an hour and, you know, happy to, happy to chat with somebody. Well, I think you, you just laid out a few. Well, first of all, I appreciate that. So the, the challenge essentially for folks who are listening is now to stop, go to blueironip.com uh, and, and book a time to get with Russ. But the reality is, is if somebody's in a position where they feel as if the, the, the process that they've gone through, whether it be developing a product or some type of service and they've reverse engineered the process and now they have some type of, you know, learning methodology or some type of, you know, collateral that's informa- informational uh, IP that is very, you know, valuable to folks that are in their industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are a couple, you know, inflection points where you would want to go and talk to, to somebody like Russ. So uh, I know that we've had uh, attorneys who work in IP, copyright attorneys and trademark attorneys and folks who have that, uh, that skill set on the podcast before. And they echoed exactly what it is that you're talking about, where somebody will stop too early in the process, try to go and and protect that IP, so to speak, when quite frankly, they don't, there's not not really a whole lot of things to, to protect at that point in time. So they'll, they'll spend five, 10, 20 K or whatever on the provisional patent, or I can't, I don't know what the costs are, but my, my point is, is it's too early. And uh, 
you know, that could save them a significant amount of time and their resources by talking with somebody like you. Yeah. And, you know, part of the thing I don't like is, you know, I came, I came to the industry, the, the legal industry from the customer side, and I did not like the way I was treated. And once I got behind the curtain and found out, you know, how the sausage got made, it's a lot worse. You know, I have not yet heard a lawyer joke. I've always, they're, they're all, they always wind up being truthful, right? There's a reason why, you know, it was so cold last year that I had my hands in my own pockets, right? It, it, the legal industry is, especially in the patent side, can be extremely predatory to entrepreneurs. And, you know, if you go to a patent attorney, you're asking the barber if you need a haircut. And what are you going to get? But how do you change the motivation, the incentive, so that I have an incentive to do the right thing for you? And the way we do that is through financing, you know, and, and taking a, a different level of risk. So, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not very happy to, to, you know, be an attorney. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you, you, you said it, you know, you, you started on the customer side and you weren't happy with the experience. I mean, most entrepreneurs that, that we've talked with, they, they see an opportunity in the market, they go after it. They, you know, they create a SWOT analysis and, and they're off to the races. So it sounds like that's to a certain extent, that's kind of what, you, kind of what you did, but you, you also did it at a time where, um, you know, you trusted your judgment and you work with some really, you know, stable organizations too. So it wasn't like you were just taking some, uh, unfounded steps in that right direction, just real quick. And let's land the plane here on this, Russ. What was it like working for the guy after you know that he, you know, I, he, I had known him for years. Around. I had known him okay. for years. I'd played some hockey with him and it was interesting. Okay. Just, you know, most of the, the stories that I would share are probably not safe for work, but I can it appreciate was, the discretion. Yeah, for sure. The, the cool thing about it was here was somebody with 30 years experience who was grading my papers. Right. And I wanted to learn every single thing I could. Why do we write, you know, why do you put this information in this section and what's, what's behind it? And I was a sponge there. I learned so much on two ends of the spectrum. One is what to do right. Because, you know, there's things that he had really good skills at. Some things he, he was awful on. And, you know, the bad example for me as the student was even more instructive. Like I would never do it. You know, I'd, I'd see him do something. I'd say, I would never do it that way. And then I would sit there in my head and say, okay, here's how I would do it right. And because I kept doing that back and forth, back and forth, when it came time to go my own direction, I was very well prepared. Well, yeah, we call that you're never re yeah. really well prepared, but I was better prepared than I could have been you know? adequately prepared. And I think that that's a, that's the, I mean, that's the lesson that I'm hearing in a lot of what you're saying is you got to be willing. First of all, we call it, don't be beta. You got to be willing to go out there and get slapped in the mouth a little bit. You got to be willing to go out there and, and essentially do things the wrong way by just getting started. And the second thing you have to do is you got to go out there and get some wins. And what that, those wins are is those, there's those small little steps that allow you to essentially build that momentum, you know, potentially, those small steps for you or the initial tranches of $2,500 given to this individual uh, to help you really, quite frankly, just start the process of a new career. But prior to that, it was, it was that figuring out where that missed opportunity was. And so I just, I, I think it's, mm -hmm. it's interesting hearing some of your story and talking about how, you know, it lines 
up with the methodology that we have here. Go out and get some wins. Don't be a bad about the process. You're going to screw up. You're going to mess up. So it's time to just go ahead and take those next steps and get moving. I and you'll learn from it. I don't buy into the, the thing that you're going to screw up. I buy into the fact that you're going to learn. I buy into the fact that this is an opportunity and we're going to try it. And what can I learn from this opportunity? And you know, kind of my motivate, my mantra is, is kind of two things. And I was going to write a book on this. I never got around to, well, I got started on it, but anyway, it was going to be called show up and do the next right thing. If you're going to do something, show up, put your back into it, do the best job you can, you know, and make it count. And then just do, you know, the only thing I can do is the next right thing. And I'm not responsible for the thing after that or or the outcome of it or whatever. And, you know, even going out and spending $5,000 for a worthless patent search, I learned so much from that. It was the best investment I ever made, you know, looking back. Yeah. Give me some leeway here. At the time, it could be perceived as a mistake, correct? Holy smokes, it was. So that was <laughs> yeah. my point. That was my that was my point about oh yeah. You just go out and you're you're gonna screw up, you're gonna make mistakes. But in the end, if, if you're consistent, you continue to show up, you continue to iterate on that particular idea or get different perspectives from folks, you're gonna achieve success, right? And it's not success as this arbitrary benign term. It's it's success for you was it created an entire new career where you have uh, autonomy and you also have opportunity coming into mm-hmm. you, but it started out as a mistake. Fair? Well, fair, you know, it, it started out as, yeah, yeah, a couple, you know, some decisions that, yeah. But I love, I love, I love the mindset of, no, it's yeah. not a mistake. It's, it, it was, it was, it was a worthwhile investment. It's what I did. And I completely agree with that. I think what, what folks struggle with and myself included is where am I going to screw up? Am I overthinking this? No, it's, you, you probably are overthinking it. Just go ahead and get moving and make it successful. Make make that mistake work in your favor to where it's not a mistake. It's actually a learning opportunity. And I think that that's the point you're trying to make, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the other thing I would, if you indulge me, a lot of it is facing the fear. You know, I got out of school, I'm at a giant corporation, I'm getting paid a decent salary, get my two weeks vacations, you know, healthcare and blah, 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 and 401k and whatever. And when you sit in the cubicle, at least for me, I, but it seems like everyone around me is dreaming. Oh, wouldn't it be cool if I had my own business, ran my own shop, you know, and, and nobody took that jump because they're comfortable with, they're afraid of, you know, oh, what would I do if I don't have my three weeks of vacation? What would I, what do I do if I had to pay my own, you know, health insurance? Well, you'd pay your own health insurance, right? And a lot of it is we, meaning just humans, put, that fear of the unknown out there. And what would happen if I started a business and it didn't go anywhere? What would it be like if I opened that shop and on opening day, not a single person walked in? That would be terrifying. Well, you know, but as you start down that path and you start realizing that that fear that I had is not the immense boogeyman under the bed, it's just a little shadow. And you're like, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, the worst thing could happen, I could get a job. I could go down to McDonald's and start flipping burgers. I could take some job to keep, I could do something if I had to. So the 100%. world is not going to come to an end if I screw this up. Yep. 
I agree. And I admire that, that recognition. So it's, it, that's it. That is what it is. It's, it took, it's it took, simple. it took 40 years in industry to figure that out though. Okay. <laughs> you're, you're far younger than I am. And you already figured this out. This is, you know, uh, well, there's, there's, there's a I'm bunch a of folks head. who are listening, who are, who are uh, appreciative, who are significantly earlier in the process uh, uh, than I am too. So there's, they're listening to it They're And now they know a couple different ways to get in touch with either myself or you, uh, to help them along the way. So yeah, I'm happy to help anybody, you know, or, or somebody just wants, Hey, I'm thinking about this business, you know, shoot holes in it. for. Well, give me some real feedback on it. Is it worth doing? Happy, sure. to, happy to have that conversation. Well, Russ, I appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with us today. Uh, obviously, if you like listening, Knucklehead, this is those, for those of you who are listening to the podcast. If you like listening, Knucklehead, we make our best attempt to release new episodes every Tuesday. Russ, you actually have some podcasts that are out there also. Uh, Blue Iron IP, how do they find it if they go to the uh, podcast app? The podcast is called Patent Myths. There you go, Patent Myths. So check it out, leave a review. Go check out, you know, Russ is not just his website. Told you a couple different ways to get in touch with him. And for everybody else who likes us in Knucklehead, remember, don't be a bait about the process. Go out and get you some wins. Russ, anything else? Oh, uh, no, it's, this is so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Appreciate y'all. Have a good rest of the day, you guys. See ya.